Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is the fifth and final part of the series that we've been doing, picking some of our five favorite episodes. Today in this episode, it's actually not one too far back in the archives. It's episode 216, which is just from earlier this year. The guest is Chad Wright. Chad is a former Navy SEAL, uh, hunter himself, ultra runner, and we just wanted to talk with Chad about a bunch of different aspects of adventure, mindset, challenge, adversity, and there's so much good stuff in here. So as much as we can talk like tips and tactics and, you know, say elk calling strategies or glassing strategies for mule deer or something like that, we love to get into mindset on this podcast because it plays a huge role in hunting. You get out there in the backcountry, things don't go your way, you're dealing with the elements, you're dealing with animals that don't cooperate, you get multiple days into a long hunt, and it's easy to start getting down. Like, it's easy to want to give up, it's easy to want to quit, but it's only by staying strong and continuing and persisting that you will find success. And so there's just a lot here that we wanted to leave you with, especially as we head into season, to get you into the right mindset, to start your season, to push through the hard times. So in this conversation with Chad, we talk about the power of your thoughts, we talk about the power of your words, we talk about defining true adventure, we speak on what you can learn from failure. There's so much in here. Guys, I hope you enjoy it. Even if you have tuned into this one, like myself, not that long ago, I think this aired maybe in... February, so call it six months ago. It's one to come back to. So, guys, hope you've enjoyed not only this episode, but this series. Don't forget, there's a link in the show description to a podcast giveaway that we're doing just for you guys, just as a way to say thank you for supporting us in the podcast. We are excited to say we're five years in and glad to keep going. So, a whole lot more to come. But right now, here's a conversation with Chad Wright. Chad, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Thanks for joining us. Mark, Steve, thank you so much for having me, brother. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be on a few podcasts, and this is one that I have been really, really fired up and excited about, man. Oh, that's cool, man. That's too kind. It's uh, We connected because of your podcast, which I somehow stumbled upon, and I don't even listen to too many podcasts these days, but I, I found your show and listened to one or two and then kind of got hooked and caught up on a bunch of them. So it was one of those things where it's like, all right, we got to make this happen. Um, and to be honest with you, at the, at the outset, I didn't even know that you hunted or had a hunting background, but you do. So even all the better that we can kind of merge that into the storyline as well. Yeah, no doubt, brother. Well, yeah, I, I definitely started hunting at a really young age. And, um, you know, I've never met a team guy that didn't like to hunt like a Navy SEAL. We all, really? man, we all look, man, some guys obviously like it more than others. Right. But um, there are no anti-hunters in the SEAL teams, I can promise you that. <laughs> That's funny. We actually had um, we had a, another former SEAL on the podcast. Gosh, this has probably been like two or three years ago, but Rourke Denver. And uh, he was saying that like for him, he discovered that hunting more so after his time in the teams, like it was the best, I guess, connection he could have. Because he, w- he was basically saying like, you feel like you're establishing a mission set again and you're packing for a mission so in terms of like logistics and throwing gear on your back and like how you're analyzing terrain and all that stuff he's like you know it really reminds me of those days in a good way i could see how maybe for some guy who served they don't want to relive that but for him he thought it was a really helpful connection 
Oh, a hundred percent brother. Yeah. I mean, like you said, a lot of the skill sets are, are the same. It's just, um, the, uh, the game you're after is a little different when you're active duty than when you're hunting out here, um, as a civilian, but you know, and, and it's really hard to, hard to get out and hunt when you're on active duty. Um, yeah. so I know you guys have, a, have a lot of hunters, you know, um, the majority of your audience are hunters. So, um, yeah, if you ever get a chance to take a dude out that's on active duty, uh, if you ever get a chance to take him out hunting while he's at home on leave or something, um, yeah, definitely seize that opportunity because it's a rare occurrence that we get to go out and enjoy our passion of hunting while we're on active duty. Um, and you know, we lose connection while we're gone and then we come home maybe for Christmas or Thanksgiving and, you know, we, we don't know the land like you guys know because we've been gone. And, uh, so it's really important and, uh, and, and thank you everyone that has taken a, a veteran out there hunting because it means a lot to us, man. I know it did to me while I was, while I was serving. That's awesome. Yeah. So to back way up, you could, uh, hear it in your voice. You gotta be from the South, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So my, and, uh, my hunting days started down here in Georgia and actually, uh, I actually started small game hunting when I was really, really young. Um, and we started coon hunting and that's really the way I was introduced to the woods. And, you know, that was, that was, I, I can remember riding on my uncle's shoulders, uh, as he took me down to the, the dogs, you know, where they were treed and, yeah. Um, coon, coon hunting's an amazing adventure and, uh, it's a great thing, you know, for, for, uh, for the younger kids because you don't have to be quiet and you get to go and beat through the bushes and, and learn the woods and you're out at night. So you feel like you're, you're, you're doing something special, you know? Yeah. I bet at That's a young awesome. age too. So yeah. it's obviously a lot of small game and then whitetail there in Georgia. I'm sure you grew up doing that. Some of that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I got into whitetail hunting later on in life um I, I really i really developed a real passion for coon hunting and then you know i so i did that all through out you know my high school years really passionate about it we competition hunted and traveled all over the southeast with our dogs and hmm. um enjoyed that and then once i got in the navy you know, I, I couldn't own, own dogs anymore because I wasn't home enough to really take care of them. So that's when I really got into whitetail hunting. And, and in particular, when I, I was a SEAL instructor out in a place in Arkansas, and uh, we had this, um, man, I don't know if I should tell this story or not, but <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I, was, uh, I was a SEAL instructor and we, we, we had this place out in Arkansas where we practiced uh land warfare it's where we trained for land warfare and there was a block of land that was it was an impact area so it's where they dropped live ordnance and um it was totally off limits uh to hunting and it probably hadn't been hunted since i don't know man the 40s so it was like some really untouched uh you know population of whitetail in there they they moved naturally they got up and fed they, they they had never been pressured and um so we would slip in there because we knew that we knew the range schedules and a few of us would slip in there and uh we'd get to uh get to chase some some white tails that that were were unpressured and you really got to learn about them and see how they moved in their natural environment and um you know and we weren't breaking breaking any laws guys we it, it was kind of a it was kind of a handshake deal that that we were you know we were allowed to go in here and, and hunt and we and we did everything right by the book 
Yeah. Um, we had our licenses, all that. But uh, that's what really got me into whitetail hunting. That was the first time I, I really got to to focus on whitetail hunting um, as a as an adult, and uh, that that really sparked a passion for me. And and bow hunting in particular um, is is really my thing. Uh, traditional archery is, is hands down my favorite. The bi- biggest buck I've ever killed was with a a black widow recurve bow. Oh, really? Um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I love that and. Uh, Hopefully one day I'll get out west and hunt, and uh, I've developed some contacts over in New Zealand, and I've got hundreds of thousands of acres over there to hunt, and um, yeah, we need to take a trip over there, and you guys can show me a thing or two. I got the land and the contacts, and you guys got the knowledge, so. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Steve, yeah, Steve's getting ready to go to New Zealand for the first time here this spring. I am. Oh, yeah. good for yeah. you, man. April? I'm excited. Uh, yeah, May May 9th, I'll be over there hunting. So oh, okay, it'll perfect, be, uh, pretty, pretty fun backpack in hunt. And yeah, I'm excited for it. Sounds like it's one heck of an adventure. Oh, it is beautiful country and beautiful people and, um, harsh country though, man, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a hard place, uh, at times to move across. So just, uh, I know you got your stuff wired tight, man. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to actually New Zealand, uh, in a minute and talk about a race that you've done there. Um, but kind of, yeah, to transition from hunting, you know, I want to talk to you as much as anything about, um, some of the things you've done, even since your time as a seal, I mean, you're into ultra running these days, you do uh, a lot of, um, very difficult things in terms of like physical challenges and training. And, you know, as we chat now, we're training for our death hike and we're going to release this shortly before then as well. And so it's just, it's on the top of our minds in terms of, you know, looking at adventure, looking at physical challenge, um, and how that, you know, connects with us and changes us and why we do it and all that good stuff. And that's a lot of what you talk about through, um, your podcast and other outlets as well. But I'm really curious. I I don't know that this is, uh, like an easy question to answer by any means, but Chad, I think you're wired a certain way. You obviously have been a Navy SEAL and you continue to do um, some difficult things as we'll talk about. And I I feel like from, you know, our podcast audience, maybe you guys have heard us talk about um, our death hike or some of the hunts that we've done and and those difficult things. And I feel like there's maybe this, you know, some guys connect with that very easily and some guys hear that and they're like, well, that's great for them. You know, Chad's a Navy SEAL or whatever, but like, that's not for me. And so I, I was just kind of curious, like off the bat, like I'm sure you've talked with folks kind of in that position. Like I can't do a challenge. I can't do a hundred mile race. I'm, I'm not a Navy SEAL, but like, I think for all of us, there's value in pushing ourselves and testing ourselves and challenging ourselves, no matter what that looks like. Like it's, it's relative to each guy. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that topic for some, maybe somebody who hears about what you've done and thinks it's super extreme and they could never do it, that type of thing. Yeah. You know, that's a great question, brother. And, um, you're right, man. I talked to a lot of people. I mean, I had, I had four back to back speaking engagements down in Florida this weekend where, you know, the majority of people I was talking to were, you know, you know, more of a, more, more of the corporate world and, you know, middle-aged older people that, that, just have never been out and pushed themselves and really have no interest in it. And, you know, what I try to tell, what I try to tell those people is, um, first of all, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be a hundred mile race, man. 
it doesn't have to be some crazy physical challenge where you're just out for days and days. Um, you, you start you start with whatever activity is going to put you out of your comfort zone. So that could literally be a, a, a half a mile walk. Um, and, and you start with something that's going to that's going to stretch you a little bit. And here's the thing about getting outside of your comfort zone. And I want to be clear right here. I'm not I'm not saying that that we have got to just, you know, push ourselves all the time. I'm not saying that you've just got to be hard and just, you know, do all this difficult stuff day in and day out. Um, I subscribe to a saying it's be hard when it gets hard. So, you know, there are times when it's good to get out of your comfort zone. And, and but but there's also times when it's good to rest and relax. And you've got to be able to turn that that off and spend time with your family and and, um, you know, love other people and, and do that. So so I just want to clear that up off the bat before we dig into this. So what's important about pushing yourself about inflicting some adversity upon yourself about getting outside of your comfort zone as a human being. The cool thing is, is that when we inflict this adversity upon ourselves, whether it's the the one mile walk, whether it's the hundred mile run, whether it's um, getting outside of your comfort zone within your, within, within business, um, whether it's just a backpacking trip, whatever it is, this is self-inflicted, and what we're doing is we are training ourselves during times of peace, like during times where uh, there, all this is, is within our control. So, so we're, we're inflicting adversity upon ourselves in a controlled environment, and what happens is, is you learn these tools, you, you learn these things that like the power of the spoken word, like how to break down these monumental tasks into small digestible segments, like how to take control of your rudder and steer your your ship in the direction of your desired outcome. So you, you get to learn these tools in a controlled environment. And then in turn, when life when life inflicts adversity upon you that is outside of your control or you're out on a hunt and something happens that's outside of your control, you can handle it. You, you, you've got the tools that you need to handle it and get out safely. So if we don't train ourselves during times of peace, when we get in actual combat, when we get in actual life uh, out in the field and something happens that's outside of our control and we've got to deal with it, if we haven't trained ourselves during times of peace, there's no way that we're going to handle it uh, during the times where it's outside of our control. So that's why I do what I do, man. I bring my flesh into subjection during times of peace that when uh, when it's outside of my control, then I have the tools to handle it in a in a real world environment. That's what's important about it to me. And that's why I think it's important to other people. Yeah, I hope that makes sense, man. No, it does make sense. And it's um it's interesting how it translates because it's not um it's not like you run a hundred mile race so that if some crazy event happens and you need to run a hundred miles you can. It's that you know, what you go through and how you challenge yourself and how you grow 
through maybe something like uh, an endurance effort translates to things that have nothing to do with physical endurance, but it's still that like that mental challenge, right? So as you talk about times of like war and peace, like you can use that clearly as an analogy of just preparing yourself for any difficult time, you know, whether that's the loss of a loved one, whether it's, you know, a difficult time with a job or whatever. Um, talk a little bit about, so you ha- your podcast is called 37 Podcast, um, and you talk about this connection between like, is it body, soul, spirit? Is that the three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Body, yeah. soul, and spirit. Yeah, that's yeah. what the three is representative of. Okay. So how does physical challenge training, uh, adversity translate to those other areas of life? So physical, physical training is for me, it's a body and soul, um, type of, type of exercise. So, um, you know, you talk about body, soul, and spirit. And my belief is that we are made up of those three aspects, body, soul, and spirit as a human being. And we have to master, nourish, and maintain those three aspects of ourselves as human beings in order to achieve a complete and wholesome lifestyle, a complete and wholesome existence. So, you know, the spirit is is pretty is is pretty cut and dry. That's whatever you view as your connection to um, your creator, your connection to a, a higher power. That's that's what I view as the spirit. Um, and then your body and soul. So your body is easy. That's your physical body, this flesh suit that we walk around in and live our lives out. And then the soul is usually that's where the battle is for people. Um, the soul is classified as your mind, your will and your emotions. So the um, your emotional side, how you feel about a certain activity, um, whether you want to do something or, or don't want to do something, uh, your soul, that's that part of you. Um, you know, maybe when you wake up in the morning and, and you know, you've got to get something done that day, but there's that that thing that's whispering and it's saying, nah, just get a little more sleep. You know, we, we don't feel like getting up or it's that part of you that at mealtime, you know, is, is, is urging you to eat more food than is necessary or than is healthy. Um, so the soul's where the battle is. And in physical training, you're, you're not only training your body, but when you push yourself beyond, uh, the, the level that you're comfortable with, at that point, you're training your soul. So you're forcing yourself to um, continue on and, and continue moving forward, even though there's a part of you that's saying, no, stop, this hurts, um, we shouldn't be going this fast. Like, like you know, that's, that's where you're training your soul. And, and you may have negative emotions about um, this activity as you're stretching yourself and as you're growing through this physical activity, you may have negative emotions about that. But then again, there again, it's bringing those emotions uh, under control and carrying on with your activity. And that's how physical training affects our body and soul. And the more that you can bring those things into subjection, um, the more controlled you're going to be as a human, the better you're going to be able to make decisions um, the less you're going to panic, um, the less you're going to have anxiety and fear and those type of those type of negative emotions. Uh, <laughs> I love it, man. I'm like smiling ear to ear over here. It's just echoing exactly just how I feel about yeah that life. Yeah. 
I was going to ask you like that, Steve, because when you when you first started the death hike, I don't think that that connected for you or was like necessary on your radar. It was more like, hey, let's grab some buddies. Like, let's go see what we can do. But I think that's something that's maybe developed over time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, my first uh, first like connection to that was uh, I know I've talked about a mountain bike race, um, the first race I ever did where. I just destroyed myself. Um, and in the middle of the race, you're just like, you know, F this. I'm never going to do this again in my life. This was stupid. And then it's like 10 minutes after the race, like planning the next one. Like, wh- when's the next one I can do? And you, so that's the, it's almost an immediate reaction to, wow, something just changed inside of me. And I'm a better, stronger person. I mean, it's a drug. And you just want more of it. Uh, and that's what inspired the death hike. And, and we continue to see see it happen for guys every year on the hike where, where they push beyond what they think is possible. Um, and I just think we live our day to day life right now is so cushy that we just become very naturally soft and expect things to happen easy. And it's just not good for, for your soul. Right. I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about here. So that you got to push past that and put yourself in uncomfortable situations just yeah. to grow. Yes, yeah, Stephen. Let me let me bounce right off of that that you just said. You talk about that day to day life. Um, you talk about society, the society that we live in, <clears throat> and you know I'm so I'm so tired of seeing men and women in, in that, here in our society today that have lost sight of how powerful they are. They've lost mm-hmm. sight of of what they can achieve because look, man, everything you talk about that day to day life. Everything that we're surrounded with here in society today is telling us how fast we can go. It's, it's, it's telling us, no, you can't do this. No, you can't go any faster than this. You have to do this, you know, and, and, and it's all meant to, it's, it, it all stifles us as, as human beings. It literally, it, it stifles our belief and our faith and how powerful we actually are as individuals. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have rules. You should, you know, we have to have rules as a society, but don't, but don't let those, don't let those limits that society places upon you, uh, determine your time, speed and direction, understand how powerful you actually are. And and you, you, you need to come back to that realization and go out and crush your goals, whatever they are. Um, you know, and, and that, that you just mentioned that day to day life, man. And you're exactly right. I view that as society. So that, mm-hmm. that's my take on that, man. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. I wonder if that connects back to what we talked about earlier of guys who don't, they don't think that it's for them, whatever it is, whatever challenge or adversity or what they might look at as some like extreme effort. Maybe they don't connect with that because they've lost sight of what they are capable of. Like, as you said, like they're just essentially they're so domesticated, like to use that word, right? Like they're just, you know, they ride the desk, they do the thing, whatever. And (laughs) I do that too. Right. But it's that choice to like step beyond that. And as you said, Chad, like, realizing you're capable of a lot more than the nine to five and the day. Um, but it's a matter of like getting out there and almost, uh, realizing that through adversity for yourself. That's it, brother. Think back to when you are a young man, think, think back to when you are a young man, there, there was nothing that, that as a young man, I didn't think that I could accomplish brother. And, you know, when I went to be a seal, um, I, I had the, the head surgeon, uh, of the of Naval Special Warfare Command tell me that I 
I could never be a SEAL because they had found a pericardial cyst on my heart. And, and he said, dude, you, this is, you, you are, you will never be a SEAL. Um, this is just not an option for you. Uh, we're going to send you out to the, to the regular Navy. Um, and, and you're going to just live out the rest of your days. Well, you know, that would have been fine, but that's not where I had set my goal. So I cut all ties with the Navy as a young man back, back in the days when, you know, I, I, I realized I hadn't been stifled by that day to day. I hadn't been domesticated. And I cut all ties with the Navy. I go out here, find, finally find a surgeon to take this cyst off of my heart. It was a super rare condition. And um, and I show up back into the Navy less, less than a year after heart surgery and uh, flawlessly complete SEAL training, man. And why do I tell you that story? Again, it's look back to the days when it didn't matter what the mountain was that was set before you. Um, and it still doesn't. It still doesn't matter what the obstacle is. There is always a way over, under, around, or through that mountain in order to accomplish your your dreams or your goals or your aspirations. Um, but it, imp- it, it it takes initiative, first of all. It takes initiative, and, and and then you know just just pushing forward, constant forward motion, man. So think back to those days, guys, and understand <laughs> these days are no different than those days. Um, you know, get after it, man. I love that because, like Steve and I, you know, we we joke about getting old, right? But at the same time, I know for both of us, at least personally, we want to be doing crazy stuff, difficult stuff, pushing ourselves well at an age that a lot of guys, I guess, have probably given up on that. Um, and there's a lot to that. I mean, that means taking care of yourself and yada, yada, yada. Um, we were just traveling for stuff and we were joking about, man, we're getting old because we like wanted to be in bed by 1030 instead of being out <laughs> drinking at 3 a.m. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, we we're also getting up early to hike. So it's like, you know, there's I just that whole idea that, oh, I'm 35 now or oh, I'm in my 40s or shoot. Oh, I'm in my 60s. Like, can't do that. Mm-hmm. And it may not, you may not be the same man or have the same capabilities that you used to. And sure, when you were 18 or 20, but you also can't let excuses of age stop you from pushing yourself. You're right, brother. And let me tell you something that's going to change, change your reality, man. And we can dig into this as we can go as deep down this rabbit hole as you want, man. But, you know, there, there's something that you kept saying right there. Um, and, and a couple of those statements, you preceded those statements with the words, I am, so I am getting old, right? I, 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 I am not a runner. I am not able to accomplish this. Well, look, man, there's this book I read, um, all the time. And there's a, pl- a place in that book where the author of the book says, I am that I am. And and the author's trying to describe himself, but he is so magnificent and so powerful that that's the only way he can describe himself is he just says, I am that I am. And the weird thing about this part of this book is that the words I am are in capital letters, both times, capital letters, I am that I am. And I've, I've always looked at that part of this book and I've said, why are those words in capital And the reason is because the most important words that you will ever say about yourself are the words that come after I am. So if you choose to say I am old, I am not able, 
um, that's going to be your reality. So when's the last time that you said, you know, I am sufficient, I am powerful, I am able to accomplish this goal, um, whatever it may be, man, that, that, that simple concept right there will change the outcome of your life um, as you move forward in life, as you get older. Um, and there again, that's just taking control of your rudder and, um, and having the courage to speak that life within your and create that reality for yourself, man. So think about that. Every time those words, I am, every time you start a sentence with those words, I am, think about what you're about to say after those two words, because it's going to affect you moving forward. I would like to dive into that. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, that sounds like very, uh, call it woo woo. (laughs) On the other hand, I think it's a hundred percent true in the sense that you create your reality by your thoughts and then your thoughts expressed as words. When you express that out loud, I think it gives those thoughts even like more power, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. How does that translate for you? Because like whether, whether it's from seal training, whether it's from ultra running, like we've talked about before on here, like it's so mental, like the, the physical challenge is very mental and it's what, it's what you allow in the mind because the physical limitation the physical pain you feel is different it's your mind that quits when your body still has the capability even though it feels like your body might be telling you to stop right so yeah like i would love to hear more of your thoughts on like words thoughts the power of that and how it relates yeah brother so Look, man. Uh, yeah, you, if you're listening to this and and you and you think it's woo woo, like you said, like um, you have every right to believe however you want to believe. But the reason I'm so passionate about this subject is because I've seen it work time and time again, both negatively and positively, both in the SEAL teams and ultra running and hunting, whatever it may be. I've seen I've seen a single statement, one single statement, change the outcome of another man's entire life on multiple occasions, um, one single statement. And you talk about the difference between the thought and the word. So we're, we, we obviously we cannot control the thoughts that we have. Uh, we're going to have negative thoughts. We can change things in our lives to improve our thought life. Um, and what does that look like? It, it looks like remaining conscious at all times of what you're feeding yourself with, what, what are you watching on TV? What are you listening to on the radio? Those are the things that are going to affect your thought life. So if you've got a really, really negative thought life, I say change what you're feeding yourself with um, and, and remain conscious of that. But even then, we're going to have negative thoughts in times of difficulty. And that's fine because guess what, man? That thought, as long as it stays in between your two ears – it's not real. It's just it's just this thing that's floating around in your own head, and it's not real to anyone but you. But what happens when you speak those words out loud? Um, it goes out into this kingdom of the air that we're surrounded with. It goes out into reality, and it becomes something that can be measured. It becomes something that can be real. Um, and I'll tell you a story about this, man. When I was in SEAL training, my best buddy, I called him Tubbs. And uh, Tubbs was more physically capable to make it through SEAL training than I was. Um, but he had been having these thoughts of doubt, um, these thoughts 
thoughts that maybe he wasn't good enough. And I could just see it in his eyes that he was doubting himself, but he was able to continue to make it through training and, and push forward until this one day where he lost control of his tongue, his rudder, and we were getting ready to go out on a four-mile ocean swim. It was like 4 a.m., and he comes up to me, and he says, Chad, I don't think I'm good enough to make it through this training anymore, and all he did was express those thoughts that he had been having in in his words he 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 just spoke them out into reality and it wasn't 5 minutes later and tubs was over ringing the bell and um he he changed his entire that's one of those situations where his entire life was changed because of that single statement so that's an example also of how the thought uh, had no power. He was able to continue on um, while the thought remained in his head. But as soon as he spoke it out to another person, um, you know, it, it became reality and it crushed him. And, and you can look at this in another way, man. I assume most of your listeners are are marksmen. They like to go out and shoot guns. And I, I try to use this example to other people that understand this. You know, my old job, my rifle was my tool. And I, I, I'll tell you right now, if I handed you a rifle, you would be very conscious of how you handled that weapon. You'd be very careful about where you, where you, your muzzle discipline, where that muzzle was pointed, um, because you know two things. Uh, you know that when that bullet leaves the barrel, you can't get it back. So that, that, that bullet, that can make an eternal impact, right? And also, you know that that bullet can bring death to other people around you. Or for me, in war, it could bring life to other people around me um, because it would destroy the enemy and in turn bring life to my brothers that, that I was in battle with. So that bullet can bring life or death, and it, it, it can make an eternal impact. Well, would you, would you think that I was crazy if I told you that your words, just like that bullet— are eternal. Would you believe that if I told you that if you spoke words to another man, to another woman, to your wife, to your hunting buddy, whoever it is, that those words, if whether they build that person up or tear that person down, that's an eternal impact because that in turn is going to be passed along to their children, their grandchildren, and, and on down the line. And also, your words can actually bring life or death to another person. That's how powerful your words are. I mean, how many people do we hear about these days that that are, are you know committing suicide, that are going and doing these crazy things because someone has spoken these words to them for so long that has just torn them down to this place that they can no longer carry on with life? So why are we so important? Are, why, are, why are we so um, not important? Why are we so careful with how we handle something like a weapon, but we are so lackadaisical about the words that we spew out of our mouths? Because they both have the same implications. They're both equally as powerful. And that, if, if you can't grasp how powerful your words are with those couple of examples— that there's just nothing else I can tell you to to make you believe in in this concept, guys. Oh, that's super helpful, man. Yeah. <clears throat> do you have a um? 
along these kind of same lines. But when you, when those negative thoughts say you're in the middle of that four mile swim and the negative thoughts go into your head, do you go to a place? Um, do you embrace the negative thoughts and, and fight back at them? What's kind of your, your mental approach to that? So when you have the negative thought, you've got to have the courage to counterpunch that negative thought with a positive affirmation, with a positive spoken word. Um, that that's the key because again, the spoken word is more powerful than the, uh, than the negative thought. So, you know, I, I mean, I take, dude, I take this to, to a whole nother level. You know, your mom used to tell you, you know, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Well, I, I'll take it to the, to the next level and say, if you don't have anything good to say, then say something good because that's <laughs> how you get. Dude, that's how you get out of that yeah. negative mindset is by counterpunching those negative thoughts with a positive affirmation. And and it takes courage, man. Like, you know, like, you know, people people think that that oh somebody's gonna think I'm crazy because I'm over here, I'm out here on the hunt and and I'm I'm freezing cold and I'm tired and you know, I'm stressed and I'm over here saying good things out loud, you know. Your buddy might think you're crazy, but what you're actually doing is you're creating um, a better reality for yourself and you're counterpunching those negative thoughts. So it does take courage, but that's how I I combat, you know, those negative thoughts. And, man, I've seen that work so many times. I saw a dude uh, last year. I ran a, a race with a dude that um, his his previous PR was a 10K, so six miles. And uh, we utilized these tools, the power of the spoken word, um, counterpunching negative thoughts through a couple simple statements. One statement was, I will never quit. And the other rule was uh, when I asked this young man how he was doing, he had to respond with outstanding. So I didn't care how bad he was hurting. I told him, I was like, man, Thomas, I don't care how bad you're hurting. I don't care how bad you're feeling, how tired you are. When I ask you how you're doing, you have to respond with outstanding. And so Thomas had only ever ran six miles. Uh, that was his PR. He ran over a hundred miles that day um, based on these principles, man. So it can just show you how, how far it can take you. For yourself, it's the middle of the night. You're doing a hundred mile race. It's 3 a.m. You're by yourself. You're still physically out loud speaking those positive things versus just like playing uh, the quote-unquote like game in your mind of positive thoughts like you're actually speaking that out i'm actually speaking it out loud man uh a hundred percent i'm speaking it out into the air you know and that that's that's where the power is guys yeah, for sure yeah and and another thing to think about guys is you know especially you guys when you're out there hunting man and you guys are out in the back country and man, you're you're up on the range, and it's freezing cold, and the and the wind's blowing, and the rain's driving, and you're there with your hunting buddy, man. And you look over at your hunting buddy, and you're gonna have an urge to say something like, "Man, this sucks. Man, I'm freezing cold. <laughs> man, what in the world are we doing out here?" Well, I want you to understand one thing, your buddy. He feels the exact same thing that you feel in that moment. So when I was in SEAL training, dude, and we were laying in the surf zone um, in the mild stages of hypothermia and just literally as cold as you could possibly get without dying, uh, they used to make us swallow these microchips and they'd sit in our gut. 
And they would come by with a scan gun as we were laying in this freezing cold water and read our core body temperature off of that microchip that was sitting in our gut. So they could literally bring us down to uh, the coldest that we could possibly get without like causing significant brain damage. Um, and, and when I would look over at my buddy in those moments, I had that realization like he feels the same thing that I feel. Nobody's immune. Nobody's immune to this. So what good does it what what good does it do to say those things like what are we doing out here? This sucks. Let's turn back. Like like what good what good are you doing that in that moment for for yourself or for your team? So um, that's another thing where we talk about use controlling our words and controlling what comes out of our mouth that you guys can utilize out there on a hunt uh, in order to be successful in, you know, really tough conditions out in the back country, you know, Love it. just thinking of you guys going through difficult times, whether it's the SEAL teams or, you know, you mentioned like working with that guy through a race. That's one of the most valuable things I've taken away from difficult hunts, difficult times, things like the death hike. And that is just kind of that, that shared adversity, if you will, like the bonds that are created when you, um, suffer with someone, you know, at some level, um, yeah, just speak to that. Cause I, I wonder if in our times, a lot of guys haven't experienced that again, not only are they not challenging themselves maybe on their own, but they're, they don't realize like the true value of doing something like that together with a brother. Oh man. Yeah. That, so that's where, that is where, um, that is where a team is formed is and that's why a seal platoon is so efficient. And so deadly is because we have went through the furnace of adversity together as a team. And, um, you know, it purifies us not only as individuals, but as, as, a, as a team, um, you know, it burns off all the, all the ancillary stuff, all, all the, all the, um, any, anything that, that might just, you know, not need to be there contention or, you know, arguments or old, old arguments or, or disagreements, like all that's burned off in the, in that furnace of adversity and you're able to mesh as a team. Um, you know, and I try to tell this to, you know, even corporate groups, you know, I spoke to a group the other day, um, and it, you know, it was a corporate team and they, uh, they were putting on, they, they were having a conference that week and they were putting on a workout, um, every morning for their, their corporate team. And I went to their workout the morning of my speech and they, you know, they had like, they had like 10 people show up out of like 50. And I went, when I spoke that day, I said, look guys, you know, this is how a team is built. Like you guys should have 100% participation at these workouts in the mornings, uh, not because you want to get physically in shape, but because you want to build your team. And this is where it's going to be forged is through this self-inflicted adversity. And again, it's, a, and it's, in, a, it's in a self-inflicted environment. That way, when they as a team get into bad situations within the business world, they're able to translate those same tools that they learned in the gym uh, as a team to the uh, situations that they encounter in real life. Chad, what uh, what have you what have you learned from failure? Because like so far in this conversation, you know, we hear oh you're Navy SEAL and you've run 100 mile races and you're positive even when things are difficult. And maybe there's this idea from 
what we have discussed that you've essentially succeeded at everything that you've done, though it's been difficult, like though you suffered and all that, like you've always fought through it. But I'm curious if there are moments, stories, things you look back at now where you did cave into that or you did um, quote unquote fail or didn't finish or something like that, that you can look back on and learn from. Yeah, totally, brother. Um, yeah, so what have I learned from from failure? Uh, that's a great question. And and first of all, let me tell you, um, if you guys want to follow somebody that that never fails, um, don't follow me because I do <laughs> fail um, quite a bit. And what do I learn from that? So when when I do experience failure, whether it's at a race, um, whether it's whether it's a hunt, uh, whether it's a business situation, whatever it is. Um, I make the conscious decision to look back on that failure and focus on what I could have done different and, 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 and realize that, you know, failure is essentially where, where we grow. So what is true adventure, man? True adventure is when you embark on a journey where the most likely outcome is failure. So if you want to experience true adventure in your life, you're going to have to let go of that fear of failure because it's going to happen 100%. Now, if you never want to experience true adventure and you want to stay in your comfort zone and not experience what you're actually capable of, then you may never fail. But when you, if, that's, if that's what you want to do is experience true life and true adventure, then you have to take the fear out of that failure. If you fear failure, you are going to remain stagnant the rest of your life. Um, so that's kind of how I approach failure. And let me tell you how I take the fear out of failure. I simplify a situation. When I go into a race, when I go into um, a new business venture, um, when I go into a new relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, um, I take quitting off the table. Hey, I, I mean, just look, dude, quitting is not an option, period. And that takes fear. That takes the power away from the fear of failure. Because when you take quitting off the table, you go ahead and make up your mind that you are going to push forward with your mission until something that's outside of your control stops you. And when something that's outside of your control stops you, that, that's the key word, outside of your control, there's no way that you could have avoided that situation and it stops you and you fail because of that external thing, um, then you look, you've done all that you can do. Um, you know, at that point, at that point, you reach fail, you reach that, that limit, you reach that failure. Well, that's not your fault. You didn't quit. It was outside of your control, whether it's a physical injury, whether it, it you know, in business, it's something that you didn't see coming. Um, so, so if you take quitting off the table, what's to fear, man? Like what's to worry about? You, you know that you're going to continuously move forward until you just can't move forward anymore. It's that simple, man. I don't know if this is like a, a really good podcast or just a free counseling session, but either way, Chad, this 
is awesome. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, my bad, man. I mean, you know, I, I mean, dude, we could sit no, here dude, and tell love it. stories all day long, but, um, uh, I love <laughs> you it. know, I mean, I, I'm just thankful to be able to share with you guys, and I hope it's received by by your audience, and I hope they take it and apply it when they're in the backcountry, man. That simple concept, mm-hmm. taking quitting off the table um, in a hunt, I mean, you know, that's going to allow you to move forward into your hunt with pure confidence, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it applies to hunting, it applies to darn near everything, for sure. Well, what do you say, Chad, to the guy who, like, he he wants to do this, but he, he like, he wants to challenge himself, but they're afraid to jump out, and I, like, I, I just talked to a guy the other day who, who wanted to do the hike this year, and then I told him it's going to be 40 miles on snowshoes, and you know freezing temps he's like nah never mind i'm good and my immediate reaction was man i feel sorry for you like i like you you just missed out on an amazing opportunity um and you know what is like do you have some tips for motivating people to to kind of get off the couch and actually go challenge themselves (laughs) you know man this is a sensitive subject for me um because look brother um i have I have, so I have people come to me quite regularly and say, Hey man, I I just, I just can't, I can't even find the motivation to get out of bed in the morning. Like I can't get off the couch. And and you know what my response is, man, don't come to me with that brother. Like you, you got, (laughs) you dude, you got to find something within yourself to get off of your couch and, and at, at least toe the line. Um, you you got to find that within yourself, man. Motivation is a fickle word because if you're depending on something that I say to motivate you, um, when my voice goes away or or when when the situation gets extremely difficult, that motivation is not going to be what drives you forward. It's got to be this flame that burns within yourself. Um, at least bright enough to get you off the couch and get you on the start line. And if you can get yourself to the start line, like your buddy, if you could have got him on the line for for the death hike, man, like you could work with that guy then. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 could go out. And, and what's going to happen is when you get to the start line and you actually take that first step and you move forward with this journey, you're going to understand how awesome and how life-changing um the journey is so you can work with a person that's going to get themselves to the start line my specialty is not getting people off the couch man i want to work with guys that are that have some self-motivation and i want to teach them the tools to take themselves to the next level so guys that what, what would i say to somebody like that that, that wouldn't get off the couch, I would look them in the eye and I would say, hey, bud, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Like, like get up and toe the line, man. Live, like, mm. live life. I mean, that's all I can say to somebody like that. Um, it, I don't do well with excuses. Um, I, I feel like, you know, an excuse is, is just um, the some somebody's, I mean, an excuse is just a, a way to, uh, you know, not find a solution. I mean, like, mm. come on, man. 
So, uh, <laughs> and I, again, man, I, I'm just, I'm kind of taking the gloves off right now. Like yeah. this, no, you I know, like this, I don't, I don't, I don't talk about this stuff this heavy, but you know, we're most of the time, but luckily we're dealing with a group of, of, of hunting, you know, men and women, brothers and sisters that, that are used to being out in the field. I think, I think your audience can handle it, you know? Well, too, I think it's it just for guys who are in that position or they're questioning, I mean, it's something you grow into as well. Like you said, you tow the start line, maybe adversity for you looks like that one mile walk and not a death hike or a hundred mile race. Like it grows, you know, and just push yourself wherever, wherever you're at. Cause if I look where I'm at now, which I'm still not satisfied with, but if I compare that to 10 years ago and not only the things I'm capable of, but the things I'm willing to endure, like there's, there's no, there's no similarity between now and 10 years ago. And I hope in 10 years, I feel the same way. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it doesn't really matter where you're at. Like you said, it's just a matter of getting to the start line and making some effort. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you're at. And you're talking about, you know, you talk, you look at that from like an age standpoint, it doesn't matter what, what type, what machine you're working with. It doesn't matter. You know, it, you know, you, if you're older, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter where you're at, man. It doesn't matter um, how well tuned and fine tuned this machine is uh, that that is our body. Um, you just adjust your, you know, you adjust your pace off of that. So you, your pace and distance. So before we let you go, Chad, I did want to hear about New Zealand. Uh, you've done a race over there called the Revenant, and I don't know if it's is it a race? Like I don't, it's a it's a crazy event, and I was super curious. I heard you talk about it just briefly. I wanted to learn more about it, um, and just maybe kind of tell us about the country. Because again, Steve's going over to New Zealand. I'm interested in doing that in the future. What's been your experience over there, and what is the Revenant? Because it's not just like your typical trail run, if you will. Yeah, for sure, man. So the Revenant is an ultra adventure race, and it's held on the South Island of New Zealand uh, on a private thirty thousand acre farm. And it is, it consists of four 50 kilometer loops and you have to navigate with a map and compass between a series of checkpoints, um, that form this loop. And it's got about, I want to say 60, 50, 50 something thousand feet of vertical gain and loss. So, uh, the terrain there is extremely difficult. Um, there's a 60-hour cutoff for this race, too, cutoff time. Um, but, yeah, you have to navigate map and compass only. You can't wear a wristwatch. Um, I mean, it's just it's just really pure movement across the land and no GPS, nothing like that. It's, it's just a true sense of adventure. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the country over there, is it, it is tough country. I mean, you are you are exposed 100% of the time. You're not moving. You're not really moving in and out of of timber like you know. Man, I'm an East Coast guy. Every everywhere that I go, there's canopy. Um, out there, you're totally exposed. Obviously, just like the the mountains out west here in the states, uh, when you're in the mountains there, you don't have to deal with the altitude. Because, you know, you're coming up from sea level, similar to like you guys um, deal on Kodiak Island. I listened to your pod on that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're coming from sea level. So you, you can get a true, you know, 5,000, four or 5,000 foot climb out there. But you're not having to deal with the altitude like you would have to in Colorado or Utah or somewhere like that. 
that's nice, but everything else is um, is the same, I think, as what you'd experience in other mountains. The weather, I mean, those that place creates its own weather, and it can change at the drop of a, of a hat. Um, but it's great people out there. Hunting is a way of life out there, man. It's like going back in time. Like, I don't know if any of you guys remember the Andy Griffith show. Oh, yeah. But uh, when you go to New Zealand and you get down there on the South Island and you get outside of the, the main cities, it's it's literally like going back in time, man. The, the cops work nine to five. No, they don't carry a gun. Um, you know, there's one pub and everybody just farms and hunts and that's all they do. So it's uh it's it's really ingrained. Great people. Great place to go. I mean, I consider it a second home, man. There's like two places on Earth that I could live and New Zealand is one of them for sure. Wow. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Has, you said so four loops and six mile cutoff. Has it been completed before? Yeah, yeah. Actually, this year there were three competitors that finished the race this year. Okay. Um, so that those were the first that's the first time that um that it has ever been finished was this year and actually i didn't i did not finish this year that was for me that was one of those failures man i was coming up about a five thousand foot climb in midday and uh pushing really really hard and i was not keeping myself cool i wasn't utilizing the water sources uh, i should have been laying in these creeks and and really keeping my core body temperature down and I wasn't doing that. And I had a mild heat stroke. And, um, you know, when, 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 when you have a heat injury, it's, uh, it's just, it takes, it probably took me a week and a half, two weeks to recover from that. So, um, you know, not that it took me out of the race. I continued to move forward, but just, uh, not at the speed I needed to move forward at. And, um, the cutoff time ended up catching me, but, um, yeah, it's an awesome place. I mean, hope, I'm hoping, dude. I, you know, I'm ho- I'm hoping to get out there definitely and and experience the uh, the hunting out there because it looks amazing. Obviously, dude, uh, on this race that we do, man, I'm finding like red stag, massive red stag antler sheds all over the ground. <laughs> like, like they're everywhere, man. Because like, uh-huh. there's nothing there that like here, like rats and squirrels and stuff eat all the sheds up. But um, out there, they don't have they don't have squirrels or, you know, rats and stuff. So they, things just sit there and, um, no, it's a, it's going to be an awesome trip for you, Steve. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear about it on the pod, man. Yeah. Random question. I'm going to drag this on a little bit longer, but you just kind of hit on it there. What's through your ultra running and, and seals. What are some tips for taking care of your body? Um, hydration, food, clothing, stuff like that. Yeah, man. So um, we'll start with hydration and food. So for me, when I'm out in the field uh, running, you know, hydration, I'm trying to get at least uh, a half a liter per hour of water. Um, I drink a lot of times I drink pure water. Sometimes there's a product out there called Tailwinds. Um, I'm not sponsored by them, nothing like that, but that's a great product called Tailwinds, and it adds a little little bit of calories and a little bit of flavor and sodium to your water. So you guys that are out in the backcountry, actually check that product out because it may actually fit for you. Um, as far as food, it really depends on the pace, man. Um, you know, obviously, if I'm, I'm at a slower hiking pace, you know, I'm trying to consume a minimum of a hundred calories per hour. 
and I'm trying to eat as much real food as possible. And um, I crave personally crave fats, so I'm I'm big on nuts and nut butters and you know um, banana. That's a staple food for me. Um, and then when I'm out, actually out backpacking, which I do a lot of, we actually I, I, we're actually running a, a leadership school out of North Georgia that revolves around um, backpacking and backcountry packing stuff. Um, you know, in the evenings I'll, I'll break down and, you know, eat a, eat a Mount house meal or something like that. As far as clothing guys, I mean, most of the clothing that I use to hunt, um, is the same clothing that I use to backpack. And a lot of times it's the same clothing I use when I ultra run. Um, I like, you know, light, lightweight Merino clothing, uh, first light supports me with some, with some clothing. It's not a formal relationship, but they'll send me some stuff every now and then. So I really like their products. Um, I think the main thing with clothing is, is to, uh, obviously start off cold. So don't start off your hike, uh, with your, your, you know, with all your puff gear on mm-hmm. you, when you're standing on the start line, you want to be nice and chilly. That way, when you get moving, uh, you're, you're going to, you're going to be comfortable. If you get that base layer soaked with sweat, you're done, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, yeah, I just talked to a guy about New Zealand and he, he said all the guys over there typically hunt in long johns and shorts. And the reason being was just keeping their legs really cold while they're climbing for, to prevent lactic acid buildup. And that was kind of a new concept to me. Yeah, no, that's interesting, man. That's yeah. interesting. I will tell you right now though, brother, if you go, if I don't know where you're hunting in New Zealand, but there are these plants over there called Spaniards and they're like a dang palmetto bush on steroids. They, <laughs> they will straight up, uh, like, like penetrate your skin, like down to the bone. And <laughs> so if you go over there, man, have a good set of gators with you, like, like up to your knees. Really? So, Okay. Oh, they, they they will tear you up like they're dangerous like if you if you <laughs> fell on one it would impale you <laughs> well, yeah. keep an eye out for yeah, yeah. <laughs> goodness chad this has been so cool man we're um guys who want to follow you check out your podcast what you're up to i mean you do speaking and writing and you got swag and that type of thing i want to make sure people can um to see what you're up to and follow you in the future what's the best places to point them to yeah, guys. So if you're not on social media, the, the easiest place is um, 3of7project.com. That's just the number three of the number seven project.com. And uh, everything is linked off the website. You can watch the podcast off of there. Um, if you're interested in having me come speak, um, I, I love doing that. That's something that we're kind of focusing on in 2020. You know, all that the applications on there. Um and just kind of more about three of seven body, soul, and spirit and how we believe is there on the website, uh, social media, uh, on Instagram, I am Chad C H A D W R I G H T two seven eight. Um, so Chad, Wright Two seven eight on Instagram. And then three of seven project is also on Instagram. It's just three underscore of underscore seven project. And, um, you know, I try to stay pretty active on Instagram. Um, we do have Facebook stuff. Uh, I, I think three of seven project. I'm not on Facebook personally, but, um, but yeah, that's where you guys can find me at. We've got some, some awesome products out there as far as t-shirts and hats. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, thankful for everybody that purchases those and, and really gets the message out. Um, I actually just made a post yesterday. We're giving away a, a hundred dollars 
um, uh, credit toward any of our merchandise and um, just to just to kind of give back and, and thank everybody who has supported the project uh, up until this point because we're still fairly new, man. Well, there you have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed that one. Don't forget to open up the show description here in your podcast app. Hit that link to enter the giveaway. And we'll be back next week. Talk to you soon.